It's great to be back with you again. And uh, isn't it great being able to sing without a mask? It's so much easier. Uh, sing praises to God. So, uh, my focus is going to be uh, in John 12 this morning. We'll come to the reading uh, a little later. But um, I would like to ask you of everything that you can think of. What do you value most of all? I'll just give you that to think about for a moment. What do you value most of all? For Liz and I, I think if we're really to be put to the test, it's family for us. It's our son, daughter, her son and daughter-in-law, and our other son and his fiance and our grandchildren. Um, these are the people that we value most, judging by the way that it affects our bank accounts at times. And, um, their happiness is our happiness. But their sadness brings us pain. And they, we value them more than anything else. We value them more than our house. Uh, it's just love in family relationships. And if you have family of your own, whether nieces or nephews or sons, daughters, whatever, I would imagine it's not much different for you. If you were on an aircraft and an announcement came over the tannoy, the aircraft is going down. You've got one last chance to make a phone call. In that phone call, I, I doubt very much if anybody on that plane would be saying, please remember to wash the car. Or my computer password is such and such. We might do that, but only after saying, just tell so-and-so that I love them. We pass on our love to people because it's people that matter most of all to us. And I want to ask the question, how much does the person of the Lord Jesus Christ mean to you and me? Where is he in all of the things that we value? For he's the, the person, uh, you know, the person of Jesus, the son of God, um, how much do we really love the Lord? And we're moving into triumphal entry today as we visit the scriptures, and it's a start of Holy Week. But my focus is related to this. I'll be mentioning triumphal entry, but I want to, uh, us to turn to John 12 and the first 19 verses of John 12, which is what happens not long before. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a whole year's wages. 
He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world has gone after him. It's a remarkable little story here of how an encounter with Jesus can reveal something of the nature of the human heart. We think about the people who are present. Uh, it's a very unusual incident, triggered, which triggers a response in, in the people who are present, the people who witness what uh, is, is going on. Jesus has come to Bethany, and it's a place of special memories for him. A wonderful family here. I don't think they were short of a bob or two. These were supporters of Jesus, and they were very special to him. And it's here that he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and a feast is being held in his honor. And among the guests are Martha, serving as usual, and Mary, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. Lazarus appears to be a kind of passive character. I don't think there's anything in the scripture that quotes what Lazarus said. He's just uh, there as a recipient of God's grace. He's raised to life and he sits relaxed amongst the company. Martha makes up for this. She is less than relaxed. She's always on the go, busy doing this and doing that. An interesting character who judging from what we read in other parts of the scripture, uh, is she, she's almost critical of people who don't do what she does. Everybody should be up and doing like she is. But Mary contrasts with her altogether. She's um, very relaxed. She sits at the feet of Jesus, and it's from sitting at the feet of Jesus that she gains insight, deep insight into who Jesus is and her worship of the Savior 
is outstanding and exemplary. Mary chose this opportunity to take the most valuable asset that she had, a pint of pure nard. Now, this nard was a a very expensive ointment. It came from, I think, a herb somewhere in India, and it was a distillation of the oil, a very expensive process. But she had a huge quantity of, of this perfume. She breaks the neck of the jar, and she pours out the entire contents onto Jesus, onto his feet, uh, perhaps also onto his head as well, judging from the other Gospels, but certainly onto his feet, and she wipes uh, his feet with her hair. And we can imagine what it must have been like actually in a room. You know what it's like when you're in a a space and there are a lot of people there and everybody's talking with one another and you've got to speak up a little louder and if you've got any hearing problems, it's difficult to hear what the other person's saying and your lip reading and that sort of thing to uh, keep up with the conversation. And then gradually there's a scent comes in the air and you think, oh, I know what that is. That's not, but that's very strong. Wow, that's... What's, what's going on here? And the, the, the murmur of the conversation beginning to die as people are standing and gazing and watching and wondering what is going on and everybody's attention is turned to this scene of Mary at the feet of Jesus wiping his feet with her hair having poured out a whole pint The whole lot has gone. But normally it was a couple of drops that were given to a guest of honour, just to honour the guest as they came in. And I can imagine that they would go home smelling of the nard and they would feel that they'd been honoured and it might be a point of conversation when they got home. You're smelling of nard, where have you been? Oh, I I went to such and such, you know. They put a couple of drops on me. She pours the whole lot out on Jesus. And everyone's shocked silent until a voice breaks the silence the, the, the bitter voice of criticism dripping from the lips of Judas why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor it was worth a year's wages John's gospel reveals that Jesus did not say this because he was concerned about the poor but because he was a thief. We need to look a little deeper here. Maybe he's voicing what some of the others are thinking, but none of them see the big picture at this time, which will be revealed to them. Matthew's account shows us that the other uh, disciples joined in as well, Matthew 26, 8 and 9. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And it is all too easy to be critical of what other people do, other Christians do, if we don't fully understand their heart, their insight, their perspective, their thinking, their intentions. And it took time before the big picture was revealed. Why this Waste. It's a stinging criticism. You've just sacrificed something of the best of your possessions and to worship Jesus. And someone says, why this waste? But Jesus is kind. He speaks to Mary kindly in response. 
and offers an entirely different perspective. Judas' response reveals him as a thief. The disciples reveal their lack of insight, but Mary more than makes up for what these others did not see. Mary had insight. Mary understood what others did not appear to understand, that Jesus was going to his death. She'd intended to save up this perfume for the day of his burial. Bodies were anointed with oil and perfumes, and this is what she was going to use. Funerals are always expensive. I don't know whether you've got a funeral plan, but uh, they go up and up in cost, and in those days it was no cheaper. I was looking at that picture of the tomb and that huge, big, round stone that's rolled into a groove uh, to, to shut the, uh, the tomb, uh, to close the tomb. And I can imagine, I was looking at the weight of that. I've been working on a building up in Comrie. Uh, there, was a, there were a couple of old hearthstones that we had to walk out very carefully and a, a big stone step. Now I look at the weight of those things there and I look at that stone and I thought, that is massive. And the cost of, of digging out a tomb like that, it was expensive in their day as it's expensive in our day as well. And she's thinking, yep, tombs, embalming, spices, perfume. I've got this. I'm going to use it for Jesus. But then she thinks, why not show Jesus how much I value him, how much I love him, how much I worship him while he's alive rather than waiting until he's dead? This is if they, was think, if they were thinking, you know, if they were saying, what was she thinking? This is what she's thinking. And the word worship comes from a combination of these two words, worthship. And Mary shows that Jesus is worth more than every drop in the bottle. She takes this opportunity to make a statement. She wanted Jesus to know what he meant to her. Probably partly in part for raising her brother Lazarus to life. But because she, she had spent time at the feet of Jesus and gained so much deep insight into who he really was. And so these criticisms against Mary are wholly inappropriate and Jesus defends her. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And while he acknowledges the needs of the poor, he doesn't underplay the cost that he will bear giving his own life to save you and I, to atone for the sins of the world. And I believe that Mary has gained further insight into who Jesus is by regularly spending time with him. And I think there's a lesson for us in that, in that we can do the same. We can cultivate our insight into who Jesus really is by spending time in prayer, in reflection, in the scriptures. We need to read the word of God, to learn from the word of God. Mary 
not only shows insight, she shows depth of spirituality. Contrast the hosannas of the crowds with Jesus, with Mary's act of devotion. Hosanna, Lord, save us. This is what the people are saying. Lord, save us. It's, it is a, an expression of worship. It's an acknowledgement. Here is the son of David. Here is the Messiah. Here is the one we, we, ex- we expected to come and deliver us from Roman oppression. And we can imagine, if we, well, let's try and imagine the, the scenes of a very crowded Jerusalem, a smaller city than it is today, Yet, an estimated, and I find this, the, the figures mind-boggling, an estimated two million people gathering for the Passover. The Bible uses a, a word to describe this crowd, which is a, a word we use for earthquakes, seismic. Seismos is the word. It's a seismic movement of, of people who are gathered here And and Matthew describes it in this way. Jesus chooses this time to make a powerful statement. In a very high-profile way, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, which reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Gently, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. In this way, he's fulfilling this prophecy. He is speaking into their expectation. But the king that they're expecting is not what uh, the kind of king that they really have insight into, into who he is. They're, they're looking for someone to deliver them from the Romans, but that's not the kind of... Uh, king he is. That's not, not the kind of battle he's going to, to, to fight. His action was in effect a claim to the throne of David, yet uh, Jesus is claiming to be a different kind of king, not a warrior who comes on a horse, but a humble king who rides in on a donkey. The word travels quickly. Jesus was already famous for the miracles and the teaching and the that he'd done, he'd raised Lazarus to to life. Now he appears in public to claim the throne of David. And a large crowd uh, travels with him from Bethany to Jerusalem and an even, even greater crowd is there to greet him. That's the seismic movement of people. And the result is that uh, uh, it's heaving with people and the statement that he was coming to them as their king was not lost on them. But the manner of his kingdom and salvation was different. Their understanding of the Messiah was shallow in contrast to the insight that Mary had. And their worship was commensurately shallow in contrast to the worship that Mary gave him. I liken it to um, the attitude of a crowd of football supporters when a new manager is appointed. You think, yes, we've got this is going to save our, save us from a, uh, we're going to 
Hibs went down to the, sorry, yeah, <laughs> we're not in the bottom six after a, uh, and I think Hibs will be looking for a new manager soon, the way things are going, but that's what happens in football. You think we've got a new manager, this is absolutely, it's been brilliant before, and he's going to, we're going to be the top here, and then all of a sudden, they're disappointed, and the football fans turn against the manager before you know he's out of a job. And that's kind of, I liken that to the, the shouts of Hosanna uh, here. Some of those people, I reckon some of those people who were shouting Hosanna were shouting crucify him a few days later. Because he didn't meet their expectations because they had no insight into who he really is and no depth of spirituality. Our worship is likely to be deep and insightful when we make time on a regular basis to be in the presence of God and spend time reading his word. But I think it spills over not just from the quiet time. Uh, we're not all mystically minded and that sort of thing. We don't, we don't all have that kind of mystical experience of, the God, of God's presence, though we might aspire to a sense of a deep closeness to God. I think it spills over into holiness of life. I was reflecting on this earlier on today because I'm never happy with my quiet times and my prayer times. I always think that I've prayed for a few folks and then there's all the other things I haven't prayed about. All of the people in prison for the gospel, the people who are suffering for... And then I, I, I get up from my prayer time, oh, I haven't prayed for so-and-so and everything else. And I, I don't know. I, I think I'm just a bit, maybe a bit hard on myself. But that's just the nature of, of prayer times. But I was thinking about, what, how do I really worship? I think through the insight that comes from reading the scriptures and spending time with God. There's a scripture that came to me this morning. And I, I love it. It says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I can't remember where it is in the scriptures. Somebody will no doubt be looking it up or thinking about it. Um, but it just came to me and I thought, I can't remember the reference, but no, it's there. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? Everything you think, everything you come across, every experience of life, every tough encounter is asking the question, what would Jesus have me do in this situation? How can I live a holy life? And if that is our mantra, as it were, for the day, it's, a, it's something that we carry with us, the text that we meditate on, and we build that into our ways of being, then we will be true disciples of Jesus. And our lives will be a little like that of Mary pouring out the very best thing that she had, the, most, the thing she valued most of all on the feet of Jesus for our life is probably the, the most valuable thing we have. And to give that to Jesus in a, the pursuit of holiness in all of the experiences of life so that we become more and more like him as our days go by, that surely is what we are called to be uh, doing. That is surely, truly worshipping the Lord. And uh, finally here, Mary's 
This is Mary's sacrificial worship. Mary's insight we've got here. We've got Mary's depth of spirituality. But this is Mary's sacrificial worship that is described here as well. Imagine that um, Mary would never forget her gratitude to Jesus after he had raised Lazarus to life. She expresses her devotion to Jesus not only thoughtfully, with insight and depth, but also sacrificially. What she did was appropriate with the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make of his own life for us. And like the burnt offerings that we can read about in the Old Testament, which were the very best of the animals that were to be given as a burnt offering with incense mixed into them, so her worship of Jesus was fragrant, literally. And costly. Mark tells us that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In 1996, the Reverend Christopher Gray, a vicar in Liverpool, was knifed to death in the grounds of his vicarage by a man he had been helping who had been recently released from prison. Christopher Gray was apparently a great academic, but had a heart for the poor and disadvantaged. He had been offered a a prestigious and lucrative job in the diplomatic service, but he he turned it down in order to do what he felt he was called to do, to serve amongst the poor in an area of social deprivation in Liverpool. It cost him his life. I wonder if there were any people at his ordination and induction who were muttering to one another saying, why this waste? Or even at his funeral. Why this waste? How do we measure the value of a life? Do we measure it in terms of somebody's talents, somebody's productivity, someone's wealth, someone's prestige or fame? Or do we measure a life in terms of how the Lord sees it? C.T. Studd, famous cricketer, founder of WEC International. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And we're exhorted in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
That's worship. We make, we, I loved singing those worship songs to God earlier on in the service. But it's not enough. It's great to, to um, express our praise to the Saviour in song. But walking it out within the week on a daily basis in holy Christian living, being shaped into the likeness of Christ by every experience, I believe that is truly worshipping. It is more than a song. And if, like Christopher Gray, it costs us our lives to follow our passion and show our devotion to the Lord by serving as he did, never a waste. That's worship. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Grant us our heart's desire, Lord, to be made more into the likeness of Christ and grant to us your grace that we may follow the path of holiness and obedience and to truly worship you not just from our lips, but through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.